0: Welcome to Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Pretty good? You excited to be here? Man, I hope you are. We are starting a brand new series today called 40 Years and Counting. We are celebrating the completion of 40 years of ministry. Is that not incredible? Amen. All glory to God. God has been faithful to us. You know, last week my wife and I and our kids were able to go away to Gulf Shores and get a little uh, spring break vacation, much needed vacation from the hecticness of life. And it was a lot of fun. Never been to Gulf Shores before. Find out uh, it's very quiet, very peaceful. Not a lot of, uh, you know, spring breakers or partying or anything like that, which was nice. And we would just chill out and, and just have a good time. And uh, last, the week before we left, my wife said to me, she just kind of said in passing, and said, hey, one, while we're down there, would you like to go to uh, see Fort Morgan, which is kind of at the end of the peninsula there on Gulf Shores? And, and you know how you kind of half listen sometimes to your wife? Anybody? It's like, you know, maybe, I don't know. So I kind of gave her one of those. And so it was around day three that we're actually down there and we're kind of hanging out. And she says, hey, do you want to go to the fort? And I'm like, oh, the fort, you know, I'm like, okay. And then I'm starting thinking about, like, is this a museum? Like, who really wants to go to a museum on vacation? You know what I'm saying? And so I kind of gave her one of those okay, I guess we can go to the fort, you know. So we all get in the car, and it's about 2 in the afternoon, and we drive down to this fort, and it's like $22 to get in. So now I'm thinking, oh, great, now we've got to pay for this misery. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe we're on vacation. We're going to go to a museum, you know. It's like, hey, who, who wants to do that? And so we get through there. We get through the gate, and, and all of a sudden I start to, like, look around, and I start to see this, this enormous you know fort i mean i don't know what else to call it it's just this gigantic fort that anybody ever been there at fort morgan down in gulf shores and so it's like in this big star and it's all this historic stuff going on and i start to kind of get into a little bit, and we start walking through some of the corridors and, and some of the hallways, and you can like basically go anywhere you want in this fort, and you can see where the cannons were kind of aimed out into the water, and the ocean kind of surrounds the tip of this, uh, of the peninsula there, so you can see how they had all the guns, you know, basically they, they could shoot in any direction, you know, and so I'm like, wow, these cannons used to be here, gig- enormous cannons, and come to find out this fort was involved in three wars, the War of 1812 the Civil War, and World War I. Now, I know some of you, when you hear phrases like that, you're like, this sounds like history class. I failed it back in high school, and you're boring me to death right now. I understand. I was there. I was there. I didn't listen to my history teacher either. But now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, man, this place is filled with history and I started to kind of feel and sense you know what was going on and come to find out uh, Abraham Lincoln's navy actually surrounded this fort and took it from the confederate army and I started to like read some of the some of the you know you know uh, I guess, papers that they had out there for you. And I, I was drawn into the history of this thing. And I was kind of overwhelmed with some emotions. I felt this enormous respect for the place I was standing. People had fought battles here. People had died here. Bombs blew up here. There were fires here. In fact, in 2008, I know I'm, I'm boring some of you. I promise it'll get a little better here. But in 2008, they actually found a live um, a bomb, I don't know what else to call it, a shell from a Navy ship. From one of Abraham Lincoln's navy ships that was fired into the fort, 2008, they were doing some ex, uh, some renovations. They dug it up. It was still live. A 90-pound shell. It was fired in 1864 by one of the ships. That's 144 years ago. I don't know why that blows my mind so much, but I'm like, holy cow, you know, that's amazing. And so I'm just having all these emotions. We had we ended up having a great time. I felt like I was caught up in this enormous story that was that was bigger than me I had I had a respect for our country I had a respect for the people who fought in those wars it was really awesome I had come to think I didn't even want to go and I didn't even want to spend the money my wife said to me on the way out she said was that worth it I said yes that was worth it in fact we have a picture of uh, of the fort here this is kind of the center of the fort and Jackie took the photo and so this is us inside the fort I was so inspired by this fort I know I'm I'm geeking out here a little bit, sorry. I was so inspired by this fort. The next day we went to the beach. I'm like, kids, we got a map. I said, we're going to build this fort in the sand. Okay, we're going to build it to scale. Okay, so everybody get four hours later. This is what we had right here. I mean, that's the fort. I mean, we only had one shovel. We built it with our hands. I mean, it was like we were in it. Great, great times with the family. Um, I'm sure they loved every moment of it. It goes like this you know okay but and I just I just had this feeling as we left there in your notes if you're following along I said there is there's great value in looking back that's what I felt I said there's there's enormous value in looking back at the history of 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 our country and what what's happened and the battles that were fought and the the people that stood up for justice and, and and stood up for what was right there's great value in looking back you know what I want to do today I want to look back on the history of our church. Our church was founded in 1977 by Pastor Jim Devine and his wife Carol and 14 other people. And I want to kind of tell the story a little bit. And and my hope is that you will feel some of the same emotions that I felt as I've been thinking through the history of our church. I hope, you, I hope you, f- you sense that you're caught up in a story, and, and, and I hope that you, you, you have this feeling of, of appreciation and respect, and that, you, that you're part of something much bigger than, than yourself. And I hope that, that you feel today inspired and encouraged by God's faithfulness over the last 40 years. It was about a year ago I started talking to our staff. I said, what if we could actually interview our founding pastor, Pastor Jim Devity?" He's still alive today, and he's still doing ministry today, in fact. And and I said, wouldn't it be awesome to kind of hear the history of our church right from his mouth? I mean, it's very rare for a church that's 40 years old that can hear from its founding pastor. In fact, our church has only had two pastors, Pastor Jim Devaney and myself. That's very rare. Usually churches kind of pass through pastors every three or four or five years. And so I, so I called up Pastor Jim and, and, and got an interview with him. And we were able to actually sit down and talk through the history of our church. And it's, it's my, it was my privilege and my honor to kind of talk him through this. And, and we have that interf- interview for you today. Check it out right here.
1: Well, Pastor Jim, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're celebrating 40 years of ministry at Ed Emmanuel, which is an incredible milestone. And um, you know, for the last 10 years of our church, I've been the senior pastor. I took over for you in 2006. And, um, you know, the lot, many of the people that we've been reaching over the last 10 years uh, really have no idea uh, who you are or what God has done through you uh, for the first 29 years uh, of our church. And so um, I thought it'd be great for everyone to kind of hear the backstory, the history and how it all got started. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how God uh, moved on your heart to start Emmanuel?
2: Well, Dan, it's a great privilege to be able to be here. We love you, we love the people, the church, and uh, it's a real honor. You know, I was thinking, as you were asking that question, way back when God moved on my heart, and uh, I just thought I'd go out and candidate somewhere, and then they'd vote on you, and and that was it. But God began to burden my heart my last semester at Tennessee Temple. And uh, I said, God, what do you want me to do? and he gave me Zechariah chapter six, and he gave me some verses for that, and I just felt the freedom to start the work.
1: Mm, Wow. So after you graduated from Tennessee Temple, you started the church in Greenwood, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about that first service, Easter Sunday, 1977? What was that like? Where were you? Who were you with?
2: It was a great service as I look back now. uh, I had talked to a couple of families, and our first service, we had 14. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, Carol played the piano. She had to be in another room. And I had a song leader, and he got up, and he said, Start playing. She started playing, and we started singing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I preached on the resurrection that morning, of course. And 14 we started with, and we thought we were going to win the world right that day. Wow. Wow.
1: So not long after that, God opened up a door for you to take a little bri- a red brick church building uh, right there where the current Goodwill is on uh, Stones Crossing Road, and I've heard incredible stories about what God did during that time and the growth of the church and the people that were added and saved. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened
2: during that time? sure it was a great time because all i saw was space and it was a dilapidated building we had to come in renovate it clean it up paint it carpet do all those things and we grew like from 100 to maybe 275 something in that range that's incredible in that small even building there we were Mm jam-packed so we had to have people sit down in the basement and we had live feed tv down in the Mm -hmm. basement and like say, A through J this week, you have to be in the basement. Mm. And wow. so, yeah, so it was really exciting though. Uh, we didn't mind the crowdedness, that's why we were there. So it was like a multi-venue
1: church before multi-venue was yes. a thing. Yeah, that's exactly. great, exactly. <laughs> that's
2: fantastic
1: something that I remember uh, very similar to what, what you used to have on the walls inside the sanctuary was a, a phrase called, you know, geared to the times but anchored to the rock. And um, can you tell us how that played out in the, the life of Emmanuel and the changes that took place because of that motto?
2: We really did change. As a matter of fact, that motto came from an elderly lady who had it in 1940-something. That wow. was amazing about that. And we went from... Uh, legalism mm-hmm. to grace. We went from standard traditional music to more Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I remember the first Brooklyn song ever sang there, ever sung there, I should say. And I, I remember I had life mm-hmm. for the, for the first time that was coming out of my soul at that time. And uh, we went from that. Then we took our name Baptist off so we could reach more people. Mm-hmm. We lost a couple hundred people going through those changes, but we gained a thousand. And so it was a very exciting time. Difficult, but exciting.
1: Well, thank you for that. That's Amen. awesome. At our church, we, we make a huge deal about people coming to Christ and growing to Christ, and that's the way we say it, and we want people's lives to be transformed. And I know that's been the vision of our church since day one, you, know, you h- helping people Find Christ and have their life transformed. Is there a particular story that kind of sticks out to you about someone's life that was just radically changed by the gospel?
2: One fellow by the name of Bill Duncan. Uh, his wife was a school teacher and he was uh, a lifer there at Allison's and he was an alcoholic and I went by his house many times and he just weep. He just didn't feel like he could get saved right then while he was drinking. Mm-hmm. And one Sunday morning it was kind of quiet, and I was given the invitation, and I heard this squealing. This woman's going,
0: whoo, whoo, whoo,
2: and then old Bill was coming down the aisle, and she was following him, just screaming. Wow. And Bill was radically saved at the altar that day, and he never touched another drop. It was a really exciting day. Yeah, plus that day we had 15 people saved. Wow. It was a great day. That's
1: awesome. Well, Pastor Jim, um, again, thank you for joining us today to celebrate the 40 years. And, uh, you know, our current, our current ability as a church to reach people with the gospel uh, really rests upon the 29 years of faithfulness and ministry that you that God did through you during that time. And uh, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your love for God, for your love for people, your love for His Word, and just your ability to stick to it and persevere when things are hard. Um, We owe our success to you. In fact, our success, I believe, is your success. Um, So uh, to kind of wrap this interview up, is there anything that you would say to uh, Emmanuel uh, as we try to look forward into the future, the next 40 years, you know, uh, just words of insight, words of encouragement to us at this time?
2: Well, I would say that you have a wonderful history You really do. A lot of wonderful people came in, and they served, they worked, they gave, they sacrificed to be able to have the lands and the facilities and things like that. And we saw a lot of people saved. But also, you have a great future, and that's through your leadership. I remember that God spoke to my heart that you were the person to be the pastor. And I saw a great heart. I saw, saw your burden for souls, and that's what really meant a lot to me and I know that taking over a senior pastor being as young as you were at that time was a difficult time and you had some rough moments but I was proud of you the fact that you hung in there you stayed there faithful and because of that that develops maturity and character and I believe that your future is bright. I think the three sites that's going on is great but I see a lot a lot more in the future so you hang in there.
0: It was an incredible privilege and honor to sit down with Pastor Jim. And uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you have never seen him or met him before? Isn't that incredible? That is absolutely incredible. Um, we would not be here if God hadn't moved on Pastor Jim's heart in 1977 to start, to start the church. It's amazing. You know, I learned something during that interview that if our 1115 service continues to, to grow and expand, we're going to have to take uh, everyone whose name ends, starts in A and J, and we're going to have to move you out to the field house uh, to watch on a screen. So are you ready to sacrifice for the cause of Christ or what? Come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> <clears throat> So as I, as I think through the history of our church, man, I've had a lot of emotions kind of overflow, a lot of feelings, and, and, and there's three, three feelings that have kind of hit me hard as I prepared for this series, and I think that we all should sort of feel these in your notes there, I think we should feel a deep appreciation for all of the many thousands of people, literally thousands of people that have gone before us to, to, to allow this to be taking place. And right now there's a service going on in the Franklin Middle School, and then there's another service going on at the Vanta campus just like this. And all of that is possible because of the many thousands of people that have gone before us, the Sunday school teachers, the small group leaders, the people who sacrificed and gave uh, sacrificially so that we could have buildings. You know that this facility right here is paid off, and it was paid off when I started leading this church in 2006 because many people went before us and sacrificially gave to pay off this facility. Is that not exciting or what? And so we ought to feel this deep sense of appreciation. You know, it is incredibly difficult to lead a church. I don't expect any of you to understand what it's like to lead a church. That's for for me and my staff and my team and all that stuff. But just to give you kind of a a small picture of of how difficult it is to lead a church, and not just lead a church, but to have a church that's actually growing and reaching people and making a difference in the community and actually touching lives and transforming hearts, it's incredibly difficult to do that. You know, the life cycle of a church uh, mirrors the life cycle of an of a person. It kind of goes like this. A person is born and then they grow and they go through puberty in the teenage years and then then they get up around the age of, I don't know, say 40 and we plateau. (laughs) Anybody there? You know, you start to lose some muscle tone and you you lose some hair and hair starts growing out of your ears. That's strange. Like when I get to heaven, that's going to be one of the questions like, what's up? I mean, I'm losing it here and it's coming out over here and other places as well. And so you start to plateau and 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 uh, and then all of a sudden you start to decline right anybody there <laughs> and decline and then and then eventually we we ter- we go to this point of death now for christ followers and people of faith death should not scare us because to live is christ and to die is gain right it's graduation day for the christ follower like i don't know I'm not afraid to die right it's actually a good thing we get to see christ and experience heaven and so but this this is the life cycle of a human being the life cycle of a church mirrors the life cycle of a human being there's a birth 1977 on Easter Sunday morning in that little white house our church started with 14 people and then it grew it went into the wreck brick building and then around 1989 this facility was built and then we sort of plateaued around there and and the average church kind of plateaus around 20 years they stop growing everybody kind of gets comfortable it's like oh I like our church let's kind of keep things the same and and then and then because that because the because the church kind of gets comfortable where it's at the church starts to decline and then eventually it dies statistics show that about 5,000 churches close their doors every year in America there's about 350,000 churches in America the average size is around 200 5,000 churches close their doors every year that's about 14 churches a day if you do the math it's incredible that just kind of shows kind of how difficult it is to, to lead a church that's growing and actually making a difference in the community and across the world. I was reading an interesting article the other day. Uh, it was the, the title of it was The Autopsy, Autopsy of a Dead Church by Tom Rainer. You can look it up. It's, it's one of his blog posts. And he basically he did a study on a church that had died, and he discovered 11 things, and he wrote about it, basically these, these 11 things. I just want to share six of them with you. This is, this is a kind of an evaluation of a church that, that's, that went through the life cycle and died. Number one, the church refused to look like the community. The church just, it, just, it stopped reflecting the community that it was reaching. It did look nothing like its community, and so it, it died. There were, number two, there were no community-focused ministries. The church was not focused on making a difference in the community that it lived in. Number three, 98% of the church's budget was focused on its members, those who were the, what I call the already convinced. Number four, there was no evangelistic focus outside the walls of the church. People stopped caring about people who did not have Christ in their life. Number five, there was no clarity on why the church existed they lost its sense of mission, lost its sense of purpose. Now, this isn't just true for churches. This is true for any organization, any business. You have to know, why are we here? What's our goal? What's our purpose? And number six, members idolized another era. Whew. And with that, this is, this, is, this is classic inside of a church. The people that are already there, they want to keep things the way they were. In fact, they, the, the thought process goes like this. Man, if we could just go back to the time when blank happened it would go it would be great and church members idolize a previous era instead of looking forward into the future and so churches fail to do that and they fall into some of those some of those problems they start to decline And so what church leaders need to do, myself and Pastor Jim, what they need to do is kind of create a new curve, and this is what it looks like. They need to create a new, refire the engines of the vision, take a look into the future and and produce a vision for the church that produces passion inside of the members' hearts. The church needs to look outside of the walls of the building building and, and, and seek to be a blessing to the community. The church has to change and adjust to the changing times. And if you heard Pastor Jim in the video, he did a great job at this. Now, sometimes he was a little reluctant, but he did a great job. We changed from being focused on the law to being focused on grace. He changed from our musical style, from being traditional, to more of a a, a modern style uh, of music. That was a difficult change. I went through some of that with the church. They changed the the name Baptist. We're an Emmanuel Baptist church. Anybody here for that? That was a long time ago. I was here for that change. And I'm so thankful that he made that change and I didn't. Because if I would have tried something like that, I would have been crucified. Do you agree with this? 28-year-old pastor saying, oh, we're not going to be Baptist anymore. Are you kidding me? But he had the credibility and the clout to do that. And what he was willing to do was shift and adjust and change so that our church can continue to grow. And so that's the type of leader I need to be and that's the type of leaders our staff need to be to say, look, let's look into the future. What do we need to change and adjust? Never, sa- never sacrificing our belief system, never sacrificing our doctrine, but being willing to shift and adjust to the changing times. Geared to the rock but anchored to the times, the way Pastor Jim used to say it. And because he was willing to do that, our church went up and to the right. Did he pay a price for it? Yes. Hundreds of people left the church over the Baptist thing. Hundreds of people left the church when we changed our music. Hundreds of people left the church when I started making changes. We got rid of Sunday school. That was a tough one. We had hundreds of people leave. But we did that so that we can continue to be relevant to our community and reach our community. And so it's hard to lead a, a church that is actually making a difference. And so what I want you to feel is a deep appreciation for what those who have gone before us have sacrificed and done. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? The second thing I want you to feel is an appropriate smallness or, or humility this is what I felt when I went to that fort. I was looking around and the hundreds of years of history and battles that were fought. I was, I was just kind of humbled that, that I was walking in the same places that, that soldiers walked a hundred years ago. And I felt small. In 1977, when this church was born on Easter Sunday morning, I was in my mother's belly. I don't know where you were. I, I don't know if my brain had developed yet, I'm not sure. But my mom was carrying me inside of her belly. In August 1977, I came out. A couple of months after this church was born, I was born. It's amazing to me. I was crawling around in diapers, and Pastor Jim was trying to launch this church with about 14 other people. That's humbling to me. When I was 13, struggling with pimples and body odor and what do girls think about me? When I was 13, this facility right here was built. Amazing. Where were you in 1989? Where were you in 1977? When I step into this place, I go, wow, this place was here way before me. And here's what's true. Here's what's true, whether I want to admit it or not. This place is going to be here long after I'm gone. I'm just a small part of the story God is telling through Emmanuel. And you are too. Wow. Do you feel it? Do you feel a sense of smallness in in your life right now? Being part of this story God is telling? It's way bigger than us. And then this third thing which I think we should feel is encouraged. As we look back on the history of our church and we see all that God has done. And the faithfulness. And the many thousands of lives that have been changed. And the difficult times that our church has been through. And the tragedies that have taken place, and the economic struggle, struggles in our community, and all of the difficulties that happen in individual people's lives, our church has continued to make a difference in our community. That ought to put courage in our hearts. I love the word encourage. It literally means to inspire with courage and confidence. Anybody need courage or confidence? <laughs> You know what, you know where we get that from? We get that from looking back. There's other places we can get it from, but we can get it back from looking, we can get it from looking back on and seeing what God has done in the past. And here's the thought process. If God could do all of that in the past, if he could could just bless us incredibly for 40 years, what could he do in the future? What do you think? Do you think it could continue to reach people in our community through our church? Do you think many, many thousands of lives could be transformed with the gospel in the, in the next 40 years? What do you think, yes or no? Filled with courage, as I look back on the past, I say, wow, God, look what you did. That's incredible. The average church closes its doors after about 20, 25, 30 years. And we're looking at 40, and we're, we're saying, man, we're just getting started. It's incredible. I want to share a text message I got with you I got uh, the other day um, this came from a guy that uh, was in a small group that I was leading about four and a half years ago and um, small group is, 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 is huge around here it's where we it's where we really dive into each other's lives and challenge each other and and I got this text and I want to share it with you because there's history to it it takes a long time for stuff like this to take place this guy says his name is Neil he says Danny It was 1,600 days ago when you cast the vision to me and a bunch of hurting, sick men that by daily reading and journaling, we could make it, really make it without our vices. So here we are, 1,600 days since my last drink. I've not missed a day of journaling. Thank you for truth. I love you. And then he sent me a picture of his journal for that day. (laughs) it's unbelievable, he's not missed a day of Bible reading or journaling, he's been set free from alcohol, isn't that incredible, can we give God praise for that, that was four and a half years ago, I was sitting in a circle with Neil and a bunch of other guys, See, the gospel is real. The gospel changes lives. The gospel transforms hearts. And that's the story we're part of. And when I look back on all of the the people that were changed by the gospel, even Bill that Pastor Jim talked about, he came down front here with his wife squealing behind him. I look back and say, man, that's what's still happening today. It happens a little bit different. (laughs) You know, we don't have people coming down the aisles anymore. But it's still happening every single weekend at Emmanuel. It's incredible to, to be part of that. And what that does for me is that puts courage in my heart. How about you? So I hope you feel the appreciation. I hope you, you feel the, the humility and, and the smallness as being part up in the story. And I hope you feel encouraged. But this story goes way back before 1977. Your story, my story, way back. actually started in A.D. 33 on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter two, the Bible tells us there's about 120 believers gathered together in a room. And Jesus has already been crucified and he's already risen from the grave. He's already gone back to heaven. And he told these disciples, go wait for me in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come and hang out there until he comes and so they're there and they're huddled up and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up and boy does he show up he blows the doors off the place the Bible says that there's a wind that sounds like a storm comes flowing in and every single one of the believers is filled with the Holy Spirit and this little fire ends up you know on top of each one of their heads which would have been really cool to see like like, what did that look like and then all of a sudden they started talking in these different languages and, and they were talking not in an angelic voice or in an angelic language but in specific Languages of people from different nations and different lands, and everybody started to hear this commotion. They heard this sound, like, what's going on in there? And some people said they're drunk. They're throwing a big party, and everybody's ossified. Everybody's drunk off their off their rocker. And so Peter, after he heard that, Peter steps up and says, "Hey guys, this is how he started his sermon. It's nine o'clock in the morning." It's too early for that kind of stuff. That comes later in the day. No, he didn't say that last part. But, but he stood up and said, they're not drunk. And then he started to preach this amazing sermon. And he started talking about turning from your sins and putting your faith in Christ. And I mean, he was laying it on thick. The Bible says he preached for a long time the message that Jesus had given him. And I want you to see what happened. This is the story that you're a part of. This is the story that I'm a part of. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And those who believed what Peter had said, see, he was preaching, turn from your sins, put your faith in Christ, trust Him today. That's what he was saying. Those who believed what Peter said, they were baptized and added to the church that day about, say it with me. Three grand, three thousand people. Listen, the first church exploded. If we go back, the first church exploded on the scene. It didn't kind of trickle into the, onto the scene. It was like it was like boom. Was it, it exploded onto the scene. Peter, Peter preached his first sermon, and three thousand people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Wow. In Acts 2, verse 47, a couple of verses later, it says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's about 365 people a year if you do the math. <laughs> I mean, this church was growing. This church was exploding. People were getting saved. What does that mean? It means they were turning from living a life in their own little kingdom. Okay? You have a kingdom and I have a kingdom. Jesus says, turn, repent, and, and enter into my kingdom. They were getting saved. They were turning, and they were putting their faith in Christ. They were asking him to be the Lord of their life. They started following him and obeying him. They were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, the message started increasing even more. And so what they did was they took Peter and they, John, and they locked him up. They put him in jail. They said, we've got to stop this. But they had already preached their sermon, and so watch what happens before they went into jail. But many of the people heard their message, What was their message? Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Christ. Many of the people heard their message and believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That's a lot of people. It goes, So we go from 3,000 to 5,000 men. Well, I don't know about you, but to, when I come to church, I, I bring four other people with me, you know, like my wife and my three kids. So if let's just say that the average man brings a wife and, 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 and maybe two kids, that's four, right? So, so if you do the math, minus one, that's about 20,000 people in just a matter of a few years. This is incredible. They go from 3,000 to 20,000. The first church was a mega church, okay? This is the deal, but it doesn't stop there. In Acts chapter 6, the church was growing even more. And so people started to feel neglected, and some of the administrative duties were being overlooked, and some of the widows weren't being fed correctly. So the leaders of the church they call this meeting and they say, Hey guys, we got to get some people to, to, to do some of these jobs, and, and we got to focus on praying and preaching. And so they, they, they got this guy, Stephen, and they said, Stephen, you take this and you do this. We're gonna focus on praying and preaching. And so they did that. Watch what happens in Acts chapter 6. So, because they made that change, God message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased some versions say greatly multiplied in jerusalem and many of the jewish priests were saved now watch this 25 years later after the apostle paul if you don't know he is he's a main character in the bible he's written 14 books of the bible he goes on some missionary journeys and does some amazing things and plants many many churches all throughout asia minor he comes back to Jerusalem to kind of report on all of the things that God has done with the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. And he's given this report about all these wonderful things. Well, then the elders of Jerusalem who were listening to what Paul had to say respond back to him 25 years later in Acts chapter 21. After hearing what Paul had to say, they praised God. They said, man, that's awesome, Paul. Then they said, you know what, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed. This word right here in the Greek is myriad. Myriad. It literally means tens of thousands. This is 25 years later. Some scholars say the church in Jerusalem had grown from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to about 100,000 people in 25 years. This thing was an explosion. Guess what? This is your story. This is the story you're caught up in. Your story doesn't start in 1977. It starts in AD 33. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. I know it's exciting. The final four is going on right now, and I know North Carolina won, and I know the game is probably, what, tomorrow or something like that. That's a story, and some of you get real excited about that. In fact, some of you today, you're wearing your favorite sports team shirt. I know that's a story too. And I know the story about maybe your promotion's coming, and I know the story about your house or you're getting married soon. I know there are lots of stories in the world, but the greatest story in the world is the story God is telling about the church because it's the only story that makes an impact on eternity. You see, here's the deal with people. People are eternal beings with an eternal destiny. You will live forever. People will live forever, either with God or without God. And so that, and the church is right here to bridge that gap and, and allow people to live forever in the presence of God, to live with God in his kingdom for all of eternity. Is there a story that is more important than that one? There's not one. Not one story. And here's what blows me away. This, is, um, this blows my mind. You and I get to play a role in that story. I can't believe it. I sit back and I think about my life and I think about where I've come from and the mistakes I've made and the sins that I've committed. I'm the guy that throws bricks through windows sometimes. You know? I'm the guy that, I remember I cheated on my final Spanish exam. I cheated, I cheated. I'm a cheater. I'm the guy that never washed his sheets in college for a whole semester, never I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. know. It's bad. I could keep going. You want me to keep going? Like, I think about it, and I'm like, how, God, how could you you choose me? I'm a mess. And when I ask that question, God says, here's, I know it sounds crazy, but I use broken people to advance my kingdom I invite broken people <laughs> into my story and I've seen all your sins and all your failures and all your stupidity and foolishness I've seen it all but if perfect people <laughs> were my only option I wouldn't get my job done so God doesn't use perfect people who uses people who are available imperfect people who say God wow you're, you want to partner with me to make a difference? To be part of the church? To be part of stewarding this message of eternal life? I'm all in. Now, I know you guys probably hear that and say, Danny, well, that's easy for you to get excited about this, you know? But, because you're the preacher. Like, you get to stand up and preach all the time, yeah? Right? But what about, how am I part of this? Like, what's, how, do, how do I do I get to play a role. Like, what's my role in the story God is telling? Oh, (laughs) Listen, in my life, I have a limited proximity, a limited influence with people. I can only be in one place at one time. It's usually like Starbucks or like, you know, my house, maybe Target. Like, I don't go a lot of places, right? So I don't know the people in your life. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Like I don't know their names. I don't. I don't know. I don't know their situation. I don't know them, so I can't influence them in a way that you can. I don't have the relational capital. Now I do with some people, you know, in my in my proximity, and I leverage that. And I say things like, "Hey, Easter's coming up, and we've got this little cool invite that our church made. There's a seat for you on Easter. Would you come?" Now I do that. I do that. In fact. There, I've been doing that for ten years for, for a lady. Uh, I met her at Starbucks about ten years ago, and every Christmas and every Easter, I would say, "Hey, would you join us? We got this thing going. You'd love it, you know." And every year, she'd say, "Oh, what time is the star? You know that number?" And she never came. She never came. Not one time. But then, but then, for some strange reason, maybe it was because God brought someone else into her life, she showed up about six weeks ago. She was here last night. She put her faith in Christ. She wouldn't got a one-year Bible. You know what she said to me? Yeah. And it wasn't just me. Other people invited her as well. You know, she was a barista at Starbucks, you know. (laughs) She said to me, well, if I would have known it was like this, I would have come years ago. I'm like, ah, that's what I've been telling you. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it with the people in my life, but I cannot do it for the people in your life. That's the role that you play. This Easter is a great, listen, you're not American if you don't come to church on Easter. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, it's the easiest opportunity for you to get a friend who's an atheist, agnostic, person of a different religion to come sit in a seat with you. It's Easter, right? Your role is to love on them and say, hey, would you come with me? There's a seat for you. There's, There's a place for you. My church is cool. It's got this thing, you know, got some cool music or whatever. I think you'd really love it. And hand them an invitation. And if they refuse, say, I'll buy you lunch afterwards, something like that bribe them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't bribe them. If you have to bribe them, bribe them. Okay. <laughs> so here's how I want to close. You, you guys know, you guys know we like to write on stuff around here, right? We like to, we like to write on stuff. Uh, but we, we painted over the stage here, so don't write on the stage anymore. We got, that's a no-no, okay? So, but what we did was we put, we put boards all around the wall. Here's what, here's how I want to end the service today. Here's how I want to, here's how I want to wrap things up. There's new pens, black pens. I would love for you to write the name down of the person that you're gonna love on over the next two weeks and invite with a card and have them sit next to you in a seat on Easter weekend. And so our our worship team's gonna come out and they're they're gonna play a song After the song, I'll wrap up. But during this song, I want you to just get out of your seat. I want you to think of that person that needs Christ. They need hope. They need peace. They need purpose. They need grace. They need forgiveness. They need Jesus in their life. I want you to think of that person. Who is it? Now, don't write down a celebrity's name, okay? Don't write Michael Jordan. I, he, I know he probably needs Jesus, but don't write his name. Write down the name of someone in your life that you can influence, okay? Not a famous person. And also, one last piece of instruction, write inside of the names inside of the frames, not on the walls, okay? That kind of rhymes, names in the frames. See that? <laughs> names in the frames. And when you're done writing those names down, I really want you to think of that person. Write that name down, and when you're done, I'm gonna come back up here and wrap us up. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be caught up in this mission. It's humbling. It's, it's exhilarating. Thank you for our incredibly rich history and for the thousands of people who've gone before us, who've given and sacrificed and served and loved on their community. It's our opportunity now to serve, to give, God, uh, to be a blessing to our community, to leverage the influence we have in a, in, a, in a loved one's life on Easter so that they can hear the message of hope and love and grace and forgiveness. We love you, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps today is the day where you put your trust and confidence in Christ. The story started 2,000 years ago. Perhaps this moment in time was designed by God for you to step into a relationship with Him. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm talking about you trusting Christ to be your Savior, asking Him to come into your life and wash away your sin, asking Him to come into your life and give you peace and joy that your heart is yearning for. Perhaps this is the moment right now. You say, how do I do that? Here's what you do. You just simply pray. You simply put your trust in Christ, and you express that trust through a prayer. You say, man, I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed before. I'll pray for you. I'll actually give you the prayer right now. You can take this prayer, make it your own prayer, and put your trust in Christ today and be saved. Christ Jesus died on a cross. Three days later, he rose again so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Will you trust him today? If if that's where you're at today, would you, you pray this simple prayer? Dear Jesus, I ask you to be my savior today. I trust in you today. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe three days later, you came back to life. You rose again. I place my confidence in your death and resurrection that I might have life, that I might be forgiven, that I might experience joy and grace and purpose and meeting. Flood flood my soul right now. Fill me, invade me with your presence. And from this day forward, help me to honor you with my life, to obey you and follow you and be your disciple. May it be my goal from this day forward to bring a smile to your face with my life. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, church, if you just... If, if, you just re- if you're here and you just put your faith in Christ, we want to put a gift in your hands today. It's a, it's a copy of the New Testament, a one-year New Testament. Here's why we want to do that. There's tables back to my right and to my left. Here's why we want to do that. Because we believe with all of our heart that the Bible is inspired by God. And as we read it, we begin to hear his words. We begin to, to, to hear his thoughts about life and what needs to change in our lives and, and the direction that our lives need to take and what his will is for our life in this world. And so if you prayed to receive Christ today, please go grab one of these totally free of charge to you. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Are you excited to be part of the story that God is telling at Emmanuel? My heart's desire is that you will play your role, that you will take that invitation that we've given you, and that you will begin to love on someone over the next two weeks. And when the time is right, say, hey, would you join me at Emmanuel for Easter and have that person sitting right next to you? Who knows what God might do? Who knows that God might open that person's eyes to see their need for joy, see their need for peace, to see their need for forgiveness, and they might be radically saved on Easter. You with me? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, so much that we are able to be caught up in the story that you're telling. It started for us here in Greenwood in 1977, but it goes way back to AD 33 on that day of Pentecost when you filled that room of 120 people with your spirit. And we're here today caught up in that story. Father, help us to steward your message well. Help us to love on the people in our lives well. And God, may Easter be a day where you just move in a way we have never seen before, that you change hearts, that you open hearts, open minds to the gospel, and that many, many people are saved and we will give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, it's a privilege to be your pastor. I love you. I will see you next week for week number two of 40 years and counting. Bring a friend.